Welcome to Strung Out, the podcast that looks at life through the lens of an artist. Your host is the artist, writer, and musician, Martin Lawrence McCormack. Now here's Marty. Great to have you with us. Today we're going to be talking about early childhood development. The person that I'm interviewing is a gentleman that I've known for over a decade now. He was my neighbor a couple doors down, and his mother was a Chicago librarian and just the most wonderful lady. Reminded me of my mom, who was also passionate about teaching young kids. I want to introduce you to Robert Smith. And Robert, great to have you on Strung Out. Thank you. Robert You have now gone into early childhood development, and I've long maintained that we are missing something in this country by not starting in with the smallest of our children. And it's through our whole society, economically, just education-wise, a lot of statistics you can trace to the fact that as a country, we haven't been able to take care of our children starting in preschool. Exactly. Tell the listeners a little bit about your background. Okay. I won't waste a lot of time, but my journey was that I was a computer science major at DePaul University, secondary education. And my goal was to teach computer science to teenagers. Didn't work out because I had a family and what's required was student teaching, which was 12 weeks at a school, five days a week, and maybe six hours a day. And I I had a family support, so it was impossible. Eventually, I went into the corporate world, information technology, and I worked there for about 20 plus years. But the idea of teaching never left my mind. I always wanted to do that. Went back to school, finished my bachelor's degree at Northeastern Illinois, and started information technology in 2006, 2007. I worked with a company that dealt with adults and children with disabilities. I did that for about 10, 15 years. But an opportunity came available during the pandemic. A lot of schools were offering online courses. And in August of 2020, I registered at the City College of Chicago and took my first early education course for child development. And I'm still taking some courses And just recently I got hired, maybe six months ago, and it's quite fascinating. As Marty was saying, you can see a correlation between what's going on by turning on the television and what's happening to young people. The early childhood education is devalued, maybe because 94% are women. And I remember asking one of my teachers, professors, if this was a field populated by men, would it be different? She said, yes. You sent along an article from the New York Times called Why Our Most Important Teachers Are the Least Paid. It's a day in the life of this one teacher, and she is therapist, she's mom, she's nurturing these mm-hmm. kids. She has to wrangle, I think, a class of 19 kids. Doesn't even have enough time to eat, and she's being paid peanuts. I know, and she probably digs in her own pocket to buy pencils and other supplies. And uh, we have, I have 13 kids in my class, and I can't imagine 19. Yeah. That's just a lot. You need at least two or three people to be in there. Because one of the things that's been emphasized to me is that you have to keep your eye on the children. An adult has to be in the room all the time. If you take your eyes off, something could happen. And there could be lawsuits and things of that nature. It's really precarious. And at the same time, teaching them, educating them. 
about the developmental skills like social emotional skills and cognitive skills. And we work on their gross motor skills and their fine motor skills. And conflict resolution, I deal with that a lot because you see kids fighting over toys and this one snatches the toy, another one snatches the toy, and you've got to diffuse the situation and have them talk to each other, which when you turn on the TV, you can hear all the things that are going, the shootings right. and the conflict between mostly men. Men do, unfortunately, 98% of the crime. So something's going on there. And when I hear about this, I think the executive functions are not working there. Maybe they didn't get what they need when they're younger. But the anger, but you see it and it starts in the classroom. The interesting thing about the article you sent me, they talk about that line that these kids that receive a good preschool education. And it is an education. This isn't, that's the first myth that has to be busted is the fact that this preschool is babysitting. It's not a daycare center. It's not a babysitting. Exactly. There's a lot going on. You wouldn't have all those toys, those blocks, Legos, things that they can build, work with them, use their mind. Being a parent myself for four children, four boys, I had been ignorant about child development centers. And now I know it's amazing what's going on. When you and I were both kids, there was no such thing as preschool. These kids that are in urban centers, they're coming from backgrounds that are totally diverse. Exactly. As far as single parents or level of income, whether they're having food in the house. That's right. All this stuff. So what is your class like? Like a good day is when when the kids come in, they start arriving seven o'clock in the morning. You greet them and take their coat off, they put it in their cubbies. We give them something to do. They're playing with toys or they're watching something on the hatch, which is a huge, like television that has educational programs. Then around 20, breakfast comes in. It's catered, but we serve the children. We put on plastic gloves, we serve the children. And it, my understanding it used to be family style a while ago where the food would be served and the children serve each other or pass it along the bowl or whatever it was. But Because of COVID-19, they removed that. So we serve the children. They have their forks and spoons, plates, and they have 30 minutes to eat. And they're talking and you're engaging with them. And they're learning. They're learning how different foods. You're engaging. You're encouraged also as a teacher to eat something with them. That helps a lot. After that, we wash hands. A lot of hand washing. They play with toys. We wash hands. We got to clean the tables. Then we have circle time which you might have heard circle time where the kids get in the circle and we read books to them or we're teaching them about gardening or Valentine's Day is coming up because I know origami. I teach origami. I had I was teaching the kids how to make a card with a heart so they can give to their parents on Tuesday. Meanwhile, there's a lot of things going on. I'm teaching. The other kids are playing with blocks, some of them on the computers. We have iPads. So it's just all this activity going on and you just it's really noisy at times. And these kids are four years old, five years old? My class is three to five. Three to five? Three to five. I've got a couple of kids, Latino, African-American. Let's see. Saeed is, I think, Afghani. And we have another kid who is Arabic, I think. Different languages. And they all get along. Are they all from one neighborhood or are they coming in from different neighborhoods? I suspect they live in Rogers Park. Okay. Okay. We have profiles of all the children, the addresses. I should look. I've only been there five, six months. I let the lead teacher do a lot of that, but they're on my back to get to know the profile of the kids. We have sleepy time too. I should throw this in there because after they have lunch, we got to make sure they go to sleep for about an hour or two. We lower the shades. We put on some sleepy time music. And they're knocked out for about an hour and a half or two hours. Then they get up and they get a snack. But 
the energy. It's I've worked a lot of jobs in my life, but you have to really be on top of your game. You're there for the children and you got to put on a happy face. You know, even if you're in pain, you got to do it. Unless you're sick, you will probably won't come in. But it's quite demanding and it's very exhausting, especially when you're telling kids multiple times to wash their hands, pick up the toys. And at the end of the day, you're pretty tired. Even one of my coworkers who's in her 20s, she gets exhausted. She's in her 20s. It's very draining, but it's not a babysitting business. You're you know? educating these kids, but you're also socializing. Them. Exactly. And everyone has a certain level of education. I think my master's degrees, I have a bachelor's and I think I'm the least one with the experience. I've been six months, but some of them have been there 10, 15, 20 years working in this field. So I'm learning and there is only two guys working in the building. Like I mentioned, 94% are women. I'm learning from all the women. What difference do you see having that male presence that you give these kids? I was told in during the courses I was taking, Mr. Robert, you'll be really appreciated because we need more men. And for African-American men, the percentage is even smaller. The money's not there. The money's not there, the stress. And you've got to love children. You've got to love children. It's also emphasized to me that there's many ways you can serve children. Miss Nuri, who brings the food down. Miss Yolanda, who washes the blankets, sweeps the floor, mops up the room, cleans the room. All of them are serving the children. It's amazing. It's a village. I mentioned Miss Yolanda. She's washing all these blankets every week. She's washing the smocks that we wear. She's there from eight o'clock to six at night. She takes the garbage out. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. Would it be right to say that you guys are a surrogate family to these kids to some level? Not to say that they don't have families at yeah. home. It seems to me like what you guys are set up to do is to provide a sense of stability in these kids' lives. Yes, we're role models for them. We have to watch what we say, what we do, what we dress, the whole bit. No profanity. You got to be careful. They use language of their own that's quite amazing. I was not using that language on the street. Words, words like sabotage. One of the kids the other day said, you suck. I'm thinking, where are they getting this up? Television. We're competing against the internet all kinds of media, it's really tough to keep it child-friendly. We can only do so much because there's a lot going at home. Some of the kids will come in the morning, they're crying. I want my mommy. They don't want to be there that day. We got to calm them down and say, you're here with your friends. We're going to have fun. We're going to do this. After an hour, they're okay. But some of them are just traumatized when they come in because they don't want to be there. They want to stay with their mom. And it's always mommy. I never hear, I want my daddy. I don't know what's going on with that. So. It's interesting that they don't ask for their dad. And they, I'm assuming that they have. I've seen dads. I know yeah. the father's coming in. Yeah. I know one your dads come in, dads pick them up, but it's mommy. And they see mostly women. They see the lead teacher. They see the teachers in the other classrooms, the office. They see mostly women. I stand out. Plus, I'm bald-headed. They say, Mr. Robert, where's your hair? I said, I once had hair, <laughs> but I had kids. <laughs> said, oh, that's great. They love it. But they I think that's great. They do. They do. They do. Again, looking at that New York Times article, they talked in that article about special needs education. They said special needs education is a new fee. It's like less than 50 years old for the most part. And there's some confusion of special needs kids as opposed to regular children. And yeah. so my question was, what do you define special needs kids uh, as? Delays. There's okay. learning delays. It could be cause of some other kind of disability. We have a child that may be autistic in our class. And uh, working with autistic adults and children, you can see that. So they don't function the same as regular children. You tell most of the regular children, sit down and sit still. The other children are moving. They will not sit. And if you don't sit still in any kind of situation, you're not going to learn. And that's a problem. 
I think there may be too much stimulation in the classroom. There's toys all over the place. There's computers. There's a lot going on. So they won't sit still. And they need to be in a special environment. They need someone who has the qualifications, which I don't have. I can imagine someone with special needs being in a different classroom, maybe less stimulation, more individual attention. They need that. Whereas the other kids, they grow up, they listen. But it's really tough. And it drains us because I'm thinking, I'm not going to mention the name of my children but the, in the classroom, but they jump around. You've got to watch them because they could hurt themselves. So this one child can draw basically your attention away from oh, trying to oh. educate the other, what, oh, 10 other kids, oh, right? Oh, yeah. The child will walk up in front of the other teacher while the circle time is going on and disrupt these children. If they don't get what they need with the specialist, then they're not going to learn. It can hurt them. And that scares me. Yeah. And I'm not qualified for it. You need someone who understands how this works, who has the background. And some of the ladies I work with have worked with children with special needs, and they've given me a lot of advice to help out. But let me get this right. You, though, are the only person in that room for the most part, right? No, no. There's the classroom. We have two classrooms, one called Rainbow, another one's called Blue Sky. Both the lead teachers are female. I'm the only male in that classroom. In fact, I'm the only male teaching assistant in the school at this location. So I'm out there. All but right. I'm learning from these where they worked other places for 10 years, 15 years. You're picking up. Mr. Robert, don't say that. I use the word zombie. And, oh, don't do that. It slips. Because the kids, were they were talking about their being zombies and werewolves. And I use it. Don't encourage them. And my humanness comes out. I don't swear, obviously. I don't do that. But other things cop out. Do you feel that pressure of being... I got to be perfect? Yeah, I feel it. You're the I, only yeah, guy exactly. in this whole thing. I got to change diapers. We got two diaper changers. And, I, and that was weird. The last time I changed diapers was my mother when she was in hospice. Wow. Now, that was something. But I love my mother. I'm going to do what I need to do. The kids, a couple of the kids won't tell you I need to go to a potty. You touch them or smell, whatever. You're gonna, and you take them in the bathroom and you change the diapers. And then we have a log we, to make sure. Because some parents have complained that I picked them up and they were wet. Well, we changed them. But something can happen from the time they leave the classroom to the parents' possession. It's a lot of work. It's a lot. Now, CPS... Their developments, you can't register your kid if they're not potty trained. You can't get in there. I also know that some places will charge you to change diapers. Where I'm at, that's not the case, that's to my knowledge. Wow. It's a lot of work. So in socializing them, you're bringing them along and into the land of potty training. Potty training, yes. We got one who is, you know, go do it. You take his diaper off, he'll go and pee-pee. He's learning. Huh? Huh? But he can't communicate that to his mom. And the other kids, the normal kids, Mr. Robert, I got to go to the bathroom. You have a couple kids whose parents obviously are immigrants, like the Afghan young kids. How is his English? It's okay. He's really friendly, too. I'll say, Mommy's here. Mommy's here. His eyes light up the whole bit. He's really friendly. I ask him, we got to change diapers. Now he's starting to say no. He's picking up no from the other kids. It's quite interesting watching them grow. I think six of the kids are going to graduate this year. So I'm going to miss them. Some of them have been a pain, but you're going to miss them because you helped them grow and they're learning things. Two days ago, I read a book about the coronavirus and they had never seen it. I was making the connection because we have to wear a mask in the class. The title of the book is Why We Stay Home. Two sisters are in the bed talking. They talk about we miss our friends, a mommy. But here's why. And there's pictures of the coronavirus and bacteria. 
Then I showed the kids on the web the actual picture of the coronavirus. I said, it's pretty, isn't it? But you don't want to get this. Spiky. I said, like this kid's hair or something like that. They started laughing and they started applauding and uh, saying, oh, this is really interesting. Because they know that they've heard of COVID-19, but they don't watch the news like you and I do. They're playing the toys, eating, whatever they're doing. But here we're teaching them things. So now they know about bacteria, know what the coronavirus is. That's really good. It's nice. And I can see where that would help, saying, hey, wash your hands. That might be on your hands. That's right. We tell them when you run out the door and grab the doorknob, it's on the doorknob. The book covered that. It could be on the doorknob. It could be when you pick up a fork. That's why we wash our hands. Yeah. We're going to take a little break here. I'm talking with Robert Smith. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about why this is so important to have early childhood development, to have preschool for children, not only in the inner city, but everywhere. And this is so hard for such programs to be supported. You are listening to Strung Out. This podcast wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the gifts of support we receive from listeners like you. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not send in your gift of love? Go to martinmccormack.com and click on the donate button.
with Robert Smith. And Robert, let's talk about what it costs to have these kind of programs. You and I both have talked about how we seem to have our priorities backwards as Mm -hmm. a country. Tell us a little bit why it is important to have financing for such programs, early childhood development. Because for one, the parents can't afford it. The programs themselves give benefits to what we were discussing about earlier, social, emotional development, cognitive skills, conflict resolution. But there's not a lot of subsidies, support. And the pandemic brought a lot of that out because the schools had closed and the kids had to stay at home and the parents had to work. So where are they going to put the children? They don't have money, four or $500 a week to finance this. So... A lot of the parents had to stay home. Some of them had to quit their jobs or work part-time until they could find someone to take care of their children. What do you say to a woman who's got two or three kids? They got to stay home because of the pandemic and she's got to work. She's the only breadwinner in the house. Other countries do a better job. I was reading about France. They spend like $5,000 per child extra, whereas United States doesn't do that. They believe in parents continuing being professionals. They believe in the family lifestyle. They believe parents should not have to suffer. Now, their taxes are higher, but still they believe in the family and supporting the citizens. We don't have that. But it sounds to me like even though they're paying higher taxes, they're getting what they need. Exactly. Exactly. We pay higher taxes and we got to pay for the F-35. And this is very true, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. And it seems to me like we just don't have that idea that children are the most important resource for a country. What I've seen on television and what I've read is that there there is support for what we're talking about. But there are a lot of people who will not support it because they don't know how to do it. And I guess they don't want to take the models and apply here. It's very complicated. And it sounds like it should be simple. You mentioned something a while ago. We were talking about the educational system should be under the military budget. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful. I said, I never thought about that. That's amazing. It should be there. It's the only branch, I feel, of government that always gets more money than they know what to do with. Exactly. But also, doesn't it make sense that... In your class right now, there could be the one kid that's going to possibly save this country, whether it's militarily or coming up with a new vaccine or whatever. We're a throwaway society. But could you guesstimate what you think it would cost for a day at school for kids, for your class, let's say? Just shoot from the head. For each child? 
Just I have no idea. One thing for sure is that a daycare center, development center, has to have full enrollment. They got to have money for supplies, pencils, things like that, food, nutrition. You got to have pay for the staff, the utilities to keep the place going. So it costs a lot of money and it keeps you, if you have all that, you can stay in the black. If you don't, you end up in the red. I have no idea. I haven't, the money, I see parents bringing the checks, but I have no idea what it costs. But I know some places are paying $1,800 a month just for one child. And that's a house payment. Right. That's a mortgage payment. That's a lot of money. The Chicago public schools, are they... Taxes are handling it, but they have restrictions. Like we were talking about earlier, the diaper changing. They don't accept that. The child has to be potty trained. And they do have resources for children with special needs that I know. They have, it's a lot more complicated. I have a friend who teaches special needs children in a CPS school. I think they're more middle school kids. Okay. But the resources from hearing him talk are very threadbare. He's like one teacher for these special needs kids. And it's no secret with the public school system, mm-hmm. they're sorely underfunded. Yeah, it's uh, it's very complicated and depressing. I heard another day that they say the character of society is how it treats its children. And that's very important. If you turn on the TV, it breaks my heart. We hear about 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds carjacking. What is that all about? I wanted to bring that up because in the mayoral discussions, mm-hmm. talking that these Chicago public schools kids got out during the pandemic, and I they're know. stealing cars and pulling off the catalytic converters <laughs> or know. making robberies and heists. I have four children, and they're all grown, and I can't imagine them at that age doing that. I would, I just, it just blows my mind. But isn't probably the first part of that is the fact that the parents can't afford to get their kids into preschool. That could be a part of it, but the family structure might have been broke down too. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's going on. We hear about this in the news, but then the children are taken away or thrown in jail or some kind of juvenile location. And we don't hear about their backgrounds because it's private. But you, if you talk to social workers, they'll tell you problems in the family, single parent home. Money's not there. There's similarities there. Someone's not paying attention to these children. If your kid's out at nine o'clock at night at 14, something's wrong. Back in the 60s, when it was 10 o'clock at night on the news, it would say, it's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Remember that? And then it would run to 1030. It's 1030. Do you know where your children are? I thought we ought to let the mayor do something like that. That would be nice to have like public service announcements or billboards maybe yeah. around town. It's We're digging into a deeper thing about the whole social aspect of uh, where to begin with this. We're going to take a little pause here. We're talking with Robert Smith here on Strung Out. Hello, everyone. My name is Polly Chase. I am the gallery director of Marty's Online Art Gallery at martinmccormick.com. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to go check out his artwork. He works in several different formats, painting, illustration, drawings, and a very unique way of doing scratch art, which I think you'll find very interesting. So go check it out, martinmccormack.com. Click on the gallery, look at the art, and when you're ready to start your own collection, send me an email at martyfineart@ gmail.com Thanks for listening.
And during the break, you said, are we our brother's keepers? And let me just turn that on you. Robert, are we, as Americans, as Chicagoans, as people that are in a city of different neighborhoods, are we really our brother's keepers? We should be. I don't know if that's a religious expression. I'm not sure about the history of it. But if a kid is being shot on the south side, I don't live there. But I should be concerned. We should do something. We should be protesting the street about that. The guns are coming from someplace. We should be more involved, but we don't. And we're hearing the same rhetoric every week from the police, from parents. But something's going on. Why is it continuing? Who's keeping an eye on these children? Don't understand it. Being a parent, most parents have different child-rearing values. You raise your, your daughter different than I raise my kids. But we should all be on the same plane in a way, thinking about this. 
And I don't know, I'm not a politician. I don't know what the answer is. But yet, ultimately, it comes down to politics, doesn't it? Yeah, in some it ways, It comes down to politics or money. Yeah. And really, it's money. Right. It's First of all, if there's enough funding. And then secondly, how that money is being spent. Yeah. There are schools in Chicago right now that are empty, vacated. Yeah. There was a big hullabaloo because the one school, I think it's down on the southwest side, Mayor Lightfoot was... Turned yeah, immigrants, in, yeah. Yeah, for Venezuelan immigrants, which is great. But, but public the community didn't know about it. They didn't know about it. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if the community... Knew that we have Venezuelans at the Leon Beach House here. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. There's something happening at Truman College, too. So they've yeah. got to go somewhere. And those people have to be taken care of, of course. Well, what about the people in Tui Park? Have you been by there? Yeah, for the listener, they're in Tui Park, which is a beautiful park, right opposite a fire station. We have about 30 homeless tents Yeah. right yeah. now. Yeah. And we have a homeless population that's being maintained in a former Super 8 Motel on Sheridan Road. So what you're seeing is the overflow from the Super 8, which brings me back to we have to start somewhere. And you are now in the front lines of working with the future. Yes. And was that a deliberate choice when you go in there? I know you like kids. I know you are a nurturing person, but you also are a man of action. Yes. Do you look at this and you say, oh, yes, this is where I start? Yes. What I do now is useful good and important. I worked in, as I mentioned in the earlier part of the interview, I worked in IT, information technology for 20 years. I made good money. I was able to do things for my family, but I didn't feel connected. And corporations will let you know that you're not really connected. But what I'm doing now, I feel a purpose. You're helping young children. You can influence them somehow, being a role model to them, sharing your life with them. And they'll pick up and they'll walk out of that classroom with something. The teachers tell them, kindergarten's coming up. And you won't be able to move around like you're doing. You'll have only a certain amount of time. You can't ask for seconds for food. You get that one plate of food and that's it. You can't say, Mr. Robert, I want more meatballs or want more pasta. You're going to have to be more disciplined. And they laugh, but you'll see it. Kindergarten is different. And when they get to kindergarten, they say, oh, Mr. Robert was right. Yeah, yeah. I can't keep doing. We always tell them saying, you're going to end up in the office. You're reminding me again that New York Times article yeah. that you sent. How... These studies were done initially yeah. in the 1960s. They were able to follow their group, teen pregnancy. Yes. 2.5 times more likely to go to college. There you go. And one-on-one -on -one teaching, healthcare, meals for low-income children. Right there, the benefits, if you follow the money. Yeah. I think one of the problems that our society wants to see is they want to see results? The, the financial results. Yeah. And this is very hard to quantify in yeah. the sense of how do you say, okay, because we took care of this child in preschool, gave him a good solid start, they went on to become a college professor. It's very hard to track an individual like that. Because they disappear. There's testimony on YouTube of kids who've gone to preschool and they say, I was here and look what I'm doing now. Young kids who are adults now in college and they can trace it back to their preschool. You're right, but it can be tricked. I don't know. We've done analysis of other situations, but I think it can be done. It would make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Just as a former marketing person, they yeah. always said you have to track to show your results. Exactly. Though, and it usually comes down to money. But you think about with just the latest killing of Tyree Nichols, yes. Breonna Taylor, these people that 
were murdered, the people that murdered them were in need of socialization and a good preschool. This is what we're talking. It cuts both ways. Do you know any policemen yourself, personally? I do. do. It's a tough job. Oh, yeah. And it changes you. I have a close friend who was, I was the best man at his wedding. His brother died a few years ago, but he was a policeman. Before he was a policeman, he was a wonderful kid, but he changed. Yeah. Became racist, blames other groups on problems. Policemen see the worst of society. It affects your mind. The one, one guy that I know, he was talking about the, the suicide rate among policemen. Here again, it's coming back to this whole thing of if we can't build the foundation of our society, mm. we're going to go the way of Rome. It yeah, will fall apart eventually. I, I know. And this whole idea that somehow if we just cut enough taxes for the people at, on top, mm. not to get overly political here, but this doesn't work. None of that trickles down. That's been proven. They've followed the money on that, yeah. and it's been proven that doesn't work. However, if we just turned this around and we said... We accept it as a premise as a society that Mm -hmm. our children are the most worse. And these kids, we have to assume that it seems to me that every kid is coming from a tough environment. I would like to say that's the common thing. We just we should just assume they don't have enough clothing, enough clothing, enough socialization. Exactly. This is like computers connected. There's a, a Internet desert in the Chicago, some areas and kids don't they don't have what they need to yeah. compete in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that they can feel isolated from that. Let me ask you, as we wrap this up, we have five or six people running for mayor right now. And some of them are perennial. Yeah. Like Paul Vallis. Who's worn a lot of different hats. Willie Wilson. Willie Wilson. Is there any mayoral candidate or the mayor herself right now? Is there any one that you have heard so far that has said something that we have been talking about, especially with CPS and early childhood development, that gives you some hope. Paul Vallis used to be CEO. My kids were young when he was CEO of the schools of Chicago. And I learned an expression, social promotion, which they used to pass children along. That year, one of my kids had passed his classes except one. And he was in the baccalaureate program. He was a really smart kid. But he couldn't graduate on time because he had to take that one class. Paul Vallis said, you've got to pass all your courses. In that sense, I thought that was very powerful. I remember this is my second son. I said, you're going to graduate? Everything's fine? He said, yeah, Dad, except I might have to go to some summer school. I said, why? Because of this sociology class. I said, they're going to stop you from that? He said, yeah, Paul Vallis said Thousands of kids went to summer school that summer so they could graduate. So he's a pretty tough guy. Now, I don't know his values on policing, immigration. I'm not sure. Yeah. I need to pay a little more attention to that. But your thoughts, have you been following? You've been following closer than I have. You gave me a little more insight from your dad experience. I did have a chance to listen to, I think it was four of them talking on public radio here Mm -hmm. in Chicago, WBEC. What worries me, and I don't hear anything that differentiates from somebody else. That worries me because we're not getting any kind of bright new ideas on what to do moving forward. But with our talk here, I think what it comes down to, my final thoughts on it, and I want your final thoughts, is that we still have a long way to go as far as creating safety net Mm -hmm. for our society. I like to call it a foundation. And the foundation has to be across the board. Somebody accused me of being a Spartan, saying that like the Spartans would take a kid from, you know, their mother's arms. We need to have an idea that each child has to be 
the most precious resource a nation can have. Other countries do it. But if we do it that way, they'll say we're socialist and people don't want to pay the money. They don't want to spend the extra money. They don't want the taxes to go higher. They, they don't want the crime, but they don't want to do anything about it. And we do have countries who are showing us the way and we don't want to follow that, which yeah. is really sad. If France can do it, we can do it. I don't mind paying a little bit more money if I can keep a bunch of kids out, out of jail or ripping me off on the street. But we don't think it's an investment and we don't care. We still are a stated society in many yeah. ways. I want to thank you, an early childhood development activist. Thank you. Turning people's lives around one kid at a time. Yes. <laughs> and thank you again, folks, for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. For more information about this show or a transcript, visit martinmccormack.com. While there, sign up for our newsletter. See you next time on Strung Out. Part of the deal.